of Uncorked. This week I jump on the pod with a dear friend, a business guru, a communication maven. I mean, I don't even want to use these words in terms that are cliche. I mean this with my whole heart. She is a rock star with a mic on a stage in a business suit with a crown that would show up riding a unicorn. Like she is the intersection of professionalism and huge heart and futurist and mother and many hats and just does it while dancing through life. My friends, welcome Caroline Carter, founder of C-Suite Communications, a thought leadership, evangelist and someone who leaders really look to to help craft communication with more compassion. I think she does an excellent job and it's not lost on me in this conversation that you really see that she sees the world through so many different angles and lenses. She's here to be compassionate and see the story through your side and my side and perhaps that's what makes someone like Caroline so excellent at her craft. I was so grateful to get her on the pod in light of some recent reductions of large quantities, especially in the tech sector. Caroline has worked really closely with tech founders, tech CEOs and executive teams, and it's not a surprise that she spent the last several months helping craft internal and external communications around downsizing the people within organizations. And I appreciated where the conversation started in that realm and also what that means for Caroline as a human being and and what's in store this year for her. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's very special to me to have someone like Caroline on the pod and it's a blessing when relationships get to cross the chasm of business and sweet friendship. I never take these for granted. I hope you enjoy this one. Oh, Care, welcome to the pod. I had to take a deep breath and exhale before this conversation. (laughs) Doing it with you. Thank you for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. Well, if there's anyone to get perspective and thought leadership around the temperature of what is happening, I would say within the tech scene, and then I would actually go beyond to say like, what is the great reduction that we're having right now? You were so top of mind. And so I am super, super grateful to be on your calendar. And I think it's important that people get to meet you through your lens. So without any of my own personal perspective, can you (laughs) tell us who is Caroline Carter? I sure can. And thank you. I'm sure your perspective is much more generous and nice than mine. So my name is Caroline Carter and I am the founder of C-Suite Content. And we are a communications firm that specializes in quite a niche area of communication. So we focus really on executive communications and leadership brand. So we support organizations by working directly with their leaders And predominantly, we're working with them on their external communication, so helping manage their digital channels, their kind of online reputation towards business goals. 
as well as helping them sort of publish opinion pieces in mainstream earned media. But increasingly, and through sort of the last few years, especially as work became decentralized, we also kind of assumed more of an internal comms function with support around how to communicate to teams. We've unfortunately, you know, had to help support with several layoffs recently, which is par for the course in this economy, unfortunately. So we help with that as well. And essentially, I love my job, but what it is, is really helping leaders communicate the most effectively with the stakeholders that really matter to their business. Yes. And if relationships are currency, communication is king and queen Mm -hmm. and, you know, every non-gendered hierarchical form. (laughs) Of essentialism. I mean, bless the leaders, bless the communication, bless the words. Please help us. And thank you for being in the work of helping to communicate these things. I am not a professional communicator like you are, and I do not live in the world of being so beautifully diplomatic. And so I thought we should start with a warm up exercise, and then we will both be properly warmed up and we can dive into all things thought leadership with Caroline Carter. Are you ready? I am so ready. My warm-up exercise is called this or that. I'm going to go through the list and you just get to fire off one or the other. Clear? Yes. (laughs) Here's the first one. Dog or cat? Dog. Netflix or YouTube? Netflix. Phone call or text? I want to say phone call, but truthfully text. (laughs) Hey, you're doing really well. We have a few more. This is excellent. (laughs) Music or podcast? Oh, uh, I hate choosing between two things. I don't believe in, in absolutes, but yeah, you're holding my, my feet to the fire here. I guess I'll say music. No, that oh. feels inauthentic. I'm going to say podcast, podcast. <laughs> Said like a true communicator. She's not binary. She's here for 50 shades of gray. Work hard or play hard? Both. What's worse, laundry or dishes? Oh my gosh. I have two kids, Ugh, both, but maybe laundry? Bath no, or shower? Dishes. Bath or shower? Okay, this is a hundred percent bath, and I will die on that hill. With or without your children in the bath? <laughs> Both have merits. Both have merits, <laughs> but usually without, let's be honest. <laughs> Passenger or driver? Driver. Oh, car or truck? She lives in Squamish. <laughs> I am an SUV, so I guess kind of both. <laughs> This is so ultimate. Money or free time, Care? Free time. Mm. Train or plane? Train. Iced coffee or hot coffee? Ooh, iced. Iced? It's the middle of winter. Okay, need we say more? This is so excellent because our warm-up is over and we are already clear that you are here to have perspective that is of a rainbow variety. We cannot put care into a left or a right, this or that. The only thing you were so clear on was that you are a dog over a cat. And that is so beautiful. And there is a vibration right now called the great reduction. Mm. Dare say the recession. What is the recession? What is happening? One thing we hear about, sometimes people close to us are feeling this, which is called, I've lost my job. I've been laid off and the numbers are enormous. The first six days of January, I think we saw numbers that were greater than all of December. And by the 15th of January, I think they were nearly double the layoff numbers of December of last year alone. So they're coming in large droves. And I want to start right there and say, can you give your perspective on specifically the tech reduction in workforce, or if you have thoughts beyond tech, 
I want to hear those too. Absolutely. So I've been entering this conversation, as I think I mentioned in my intro, largely through sort of advising on how to communicate as a leader around these reductions. And what's been interesting is that we supported with a few last year when there were kind of some, I want to say early adopters, that's not really the appropriate language, but it really was the people that were sort of starting this process, realizing the writing was on the wall and that the money in tech had been drying up and that we were going to enter into this constrained economic climate. Now, at this point, we've advised on many of these rifts. And I think, you know, what has been sad is that no matter what, whenever I advise on them, it's always to keep sort of the human experience at the forefront. Ultimately, no matter who you're communicating to, and there's multiple audiences, stakeholders, investors, other people that are watching the trajectory of your company, but ultimately it's your people, right? It's your people that are getting laid off and it's your people that are getting left behind and human experience and the sort of profound impact of that has to be at the forefront of everything you're saying and doing. What's been interesting in tech is that these have become so prolific and regular occurrences, frankly, every day you look on LinkedIn and there it is in your trending news, is that it's almost like embedded in the communication of like, look, you're late to the party on doing this. It's sad to say, but it's almost like come to be expected. Although certainly for the person being laid off, it's never expected and it's never an easy process to go through by any stretch. So, I mean, in terms of what I think about it in tech, there's lots of different sort of discourse on this right now. But one of the prevailing conversations I've been seeing is just, is this really endemic to the economy we're in right now? Or is it also partly because there was a bit of a spending spree where there was you know, this huge influx of capital over the pandemic in tech particularly. And now we're kind of seeing, frankly, a, a return to a rational market, if you will, or a sort of stabilization of that. And it's feeling like the end days, again, particularly for those people impacted, but is it actually just a natural evolution of how bloated and inflated and overspending a lot of these companies were. I'm not an economist, so I won't weigh in on that anymore. Am I sort of managing the book sheets of a lot of these organizations? But, you know, maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, fair. You mentioned the human experience, and I'm not here to throw anyone under a bus or glorify them for that matter. Yet, Elon Musk had no problem coming in to start the trend last year at mm. Twitter. And I would say that externally, from my perspective, he gave zero hoots about the human experience. And he looked to see, you know, how do I want to run Twitter? And all of these people are gone. And so I'm not arguing with you. I'm curious, though, can we really toe the line that there is a human experience to be factored into this? Or is this a profitability play right now that says we may have overspent and we need to, you know, return back to a state of positive homeostasis, how do we communicate that? Or how do we almost digest that care? Yeah, I mean, that's a, it's a tough question to answer, right? I don't know that anyone is necessarily able to answer that right now. You and I have had previous conversations around that profoundly human experience that was the pandemic and how that sort of centered the human experience of work in workplace discussions. And that was largely because of the way that we work was changing and then sort of how we work brought into that discussion. And we got to see into people's lives in a way we never had. And it cracked open all these, I think, wonderful and much needed conversations around people at work and treating people at work and how we want to work and what unique challenges we face. Now we're entering this phase where, yes, we're having the main discussion at work right now, I think for a lot of companies is profitability, you know, because it has to be for some, many of their survival and, and many of them won't survive. I mean, that's just also another reality, 
And then also this idea of like major focus on sales, major focus on customer retention. And it seems as though a lot of that people forward discussion I was seeing, at least in my networks and on my social channels, has sort of been diminished a bit by that conversation of a recessionary environment. So your question around how do we balance both? Well, look, some people aren't going to balance both, right? I mean, Elon has drawn his line in the sand and the reaction to that will be what it is. There'll be people that you don't want to work with him because of his vision and who he is. And there'll be people that will avoid him like the plague. <laughs> but I think for a lot of other companies, you know, my hope would be that, look, there has to be conversations about reality. And probably there was overhiring done and maybe there was mismanagement. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why we're here and then just prevailing kind of external economic conditions. But is it possible to still keep people at the forefront, even in these strenuous decisions? You've got people who are left behind, you know, they've got the weight of the world on their shoulders, not only in losing, you know, maybe teammates they loved and cared about, but also now having to do the work of, you know, many more people as one person feeling guilt about being left in the organization when someone else got cut and then pressure to overperform. So there's a whole new series of factors that are going to put strain and stress on an employee base that frankly has already been through, you know, let's face it, the last three years have been very destabilizing and uncertain and stressful. So my hope and my advice for leaders is, Yes. I mean, you've got also a ton on your shoulders in terms of keeping your company going. And look, if you don't, no one's going to have a job. At the same time, you know, can you not throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak, and give up on a lot of these people focused programs, sentiments, progressive ways of looking at, at how we can work in a way that works for everyone in the process. And I think that's going to be the balance because at the end of the day, people cost money. Hiring people costs money too. And if profitability is, you know, your North Star, then you do need to factor in that people are still a huge and very fundamental component of that journey. Yeah. It can cost about 40% of somebody's salary to hire them. Hiring talent is expensive. Mm -hmm. When you think of the cost of either an internal group or an external group like us to bring people in the amount of time it takes to go through a rigorous interview process, 40% of someone's salary. On the flip side, there is an enormous ROI of investing 1% in someone's salary to their development or retention. Mm -hmm. And what is interesting to me is it really feels like we're dealing with taps and it's like, I'm going to turn the hiring tap on. I'm going to turn the hiring tap off. I'm going to turn a development tap on and a development tap off. And, you know, you and I both own our own businesses. And I think with that comes a different self-identification of what it means to work when you are as closely tied to your work as you and I are. However, I want to jump sort of to a different place and say, so this is happening in the world and you're working with these leaders and we're working with leaders that are or aren't hiring. And I was listening to a podcast actually the other day about self-identification and how it's very North American to identify so wholly with our work. And yet when people are either resigning or being reduced, what does that mean for us in North America and how we take that on in such an enormous way? And I feel like the other side of the coin to riff with you on is what is the journey of self-identification? What is the journey for those folks who have either chosen to leave or have left work? And how do we find more of ourselves regardless of our work? And do you have thoughts on that? And quite frankly, your personal thoughts on that? 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is something I've been thinking a lot about, particularly because while I didn't, you know, resign from my business, I had burnout last year at sort of the cellular level, as I said, like towards the end of last year, I was I was not in a good space. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was just done and not being a great leader for my team, frankly, you know, as a result of that either. And so those questions have come into light for me. I over-indexed, right? I over-indexed last year on work. And, you know, I have two small children and this year going into 2023, in terms of that sort of self-identification, self-actualization, I really had to say to myself, my goal for this year is holistic success. And people have said, oh, well, you mean like work-life balance? And I'm like, no, screw that. Like that is an annoying term. It's not possible. It actually puts extra stress on people. I actually don't believe that work-life balance is possible, but I do believe that you can consciously and intentionally go into your year and decide there are going to be moments that I over-index on work. And I understand that in that decision, that other things are going to go to the wayside in my life for that. And I also understand that I'm going to over-index on family and reading my babies a story at night and putting my computer aside. And yes, maybe I won't get the thing done that I need to get done. And maybe that'll impact my work a bit, but I'm okay with that decision. It's not that everything's in balance and harmony. It's that things are constantly going up and down, but I'm okay because holistic success to me means that I feel happiness in a spherical way in my life. And I feel like I'm showing up in a way in my life in all areas. And so that has been my journey of kind of maybe reconciling a little bit my tendency to like over-index on work as the sort of fundamental piece of my identity. And I think that for me really came from having kids and not being the mom that took the year long or 18 months, which we're so privileged to have in Canada, mat leave, and actually felt like, gosh, I don't want to erase this identity of mine, which is founder, business owner, entrepreneur, that feels so important to me. And I think I kind of overdid it on leaning into that. And so we all have an opportunity through various points in our life, whether it is through unfortunately losing our job or reimagining our relationship to work to think about these things. I would just caveat that in saying, you know, I think it's tough in our culture because you're right. It enforces this idea in North America that like, you know, what we do is who we are. And I don't think everyone always has the luxury of time to, you know, pontificate about these things. I mean, people need money right now and they need to be working. So I think it's a valid question you asked. I want to be careful not to sort of lean in too hard to sort of talking about these esoteric things, because I realize the reality for a lot of people is like right now, a lot of people are just trying to get a job, right? And they're not even thinking about maybe how much it means to who they are or not. They need to pay their bills. So it's a tough one to answer. But for those who have the space and time to do it, of course, it's a valid exercise. And I think how great would it be if we all re-examined our relationship to hustle culture? I work a four day week at C-suite. I keep my Fridays free because I don't have full childcare in that day. And I also just know for myself, I like that balance, but man, it's tough to do when the rest of the world isn't. Well, you know, what I would say is I think there are many ands to everything you just shared care. And it's all so valid. I mean, we have a client in Europe right now, they're headquartered in Bulgaria, their production offices in London. They started working four day work weeks two years ago. And they were only interested in working with us if we were a four-day workweek organization as well. And the reason for that was they were like, why are you so far behind the times? It's what we're all doing. We show up with more care and compassion for each other. We get work done differently. 
they don't even see it as like anti-hustle or pro or not hustle culture. They see it as like, this is a way of getting work done really effectively. And I am so inspired by the leader. They actually have an incredible board based in San Francisco. So a very North American centric business, even though the business was founded in Europe. And I think there is so much to be said for the reality that yes, you need work and you can identify as many things with or without your work. And our job is to help hold the space for other people that if you don't have the job you once had, you are no less of a brilliant, beautiful human being. I'm hitting the pause button on this sweet episode to tell you about something that you might like. Our newsletter. We call it The Corkboard. It has all things juicy, whether you are looking to keep in touch between episodes or find out more about our coaching, development, or hot new jobs that we're working on. The link is in our show notes. Your inbox is sacred and your time is too. So now let's get back to the episode. When we speak to each other, there is something to be said for like, how are you? not how's your job. Maybe you've taken a step back because that was the job that was available. And what a beautiful journey on the highway of careers. There's on and off ramps. And I think there's also assumptions that are made that like, just because you have a job, that's a great thing. And I've actually spoken with more people recently who resigned six months ago. They're like, I gave working notice and I'm just staying there. Or actually I'm not excited about this new shift and I'm looking for a new chapter now. It's like, Right. So on one hand, we think, you know, certain leaders are waving wands to say, I'm going to reduce the workforce. And on the other hand, which you spoke to, there's still a resignation factor happening. And that is like, people are like, no, thank you. And look at you, you're saying, I'm not going to work this way. Like, no, thank you. I'm going to craft a way a business, a way of leading that works that we need. And I think that these are moments I'm like, never waste a good pandemic and never waste a great recession. Never waste a great recession. It's really true. It's really true. And I'll just add to that, even though it is difficult, if you feel you are working against the kind of dominant grain of work culture, and you know, maybe we should both move to Europe as an aside, but uh, (laughs) not just for the wine and cheese. But I also think it is surprising and has been surprising to me when you set a boundary like actually how in this climate, how people are receptive to it. And I have had that where, you know, a client's come in with a last minute request on a Friday. And I just say, you know, if it's something, you know, super urgent, or of course I will acquiesce, but if not, I will just say like, sorry, like Fridays are are for my family and I'll get to this on Monday. And I have very rarely had someone be like, I'm going to fire you because of that. You know, most people are like, oh, wow, good for you. Okay. And I get the sense that like all of us are secretly hoping that everyone's going to take a line in the sand. And maybe if we all collectively do, then it'll embolden more people too. So It's a good call out by you. And I think a good call out for me to sort of lead by example in that way, because I think we're actually as a society, a lot more thirsty for it than we might necessarily believe. Oh gosh, I care. I mean, this is a whole other conversation and podcast to have with you, but the sustainability, (laughs) both of our happiness, of our holistic health of the planet is to work four days a week. So like, let's just go there in another conversation. Absolutely. Before we hit record, though, you had mentioned some silver linings, and also the kicker around how technology is taking over some of this human experience. And so as much as you and I both deeply, deeply care about the human experience, about the humans involved in this, there's this other thing happening that far surpasses 
our emotional relationship with work. <laughs> and I'm wondering if you can speak to that for us, Care, and what you are seeing, you know, most prevalent right now. Are you talking about the robots arriving on the <laughs> Yes, <laughs> they've arrived. Yeah, I mean, I think we've all seen this out of seemingly the blue and certainly not if you've been a futurist or tapped into, you know, machine learning and AI, we have seen generative AI kind of come on the scene and it is dominating the active kind of public discourse right now in a multitude of ways. And some of the ways we're talking about it with the leaders we work with, obviously a lot of folks in the creator space. So we're talking about the impact of that industry. We're also talking about it from like an ethical standpoint in terms of like, how are you talking to your company about these new tools? And they're still so nascent and we don't know kind of the full gamut of these and what is possible. But I think what is clear is that they are generating, no pun intended, not only content, but actually a lot of anxiety around the future of particularly white collar jobs. So if we saw in the pandemic that a lot of people who worked, you know, in those services roles that had to stop working because of the closures and things and impact there, we're now seeing through generative AI tools, the prospect that a lot of more junior communication roles and a lot of artists and things like that are feeling threatened by what these things can do. Now, you know, I, I won't open up a whole conversation as to like the ethics and whatnot and sort of what that means, but I will say at the highest level, I think in the spirit again of moving away from this people-centered conversation around work, we're seeing the like profitability conversation push human experience to the side. And we're also seeing this focus on technology also make humans, I think, feel pushed a little bit to the side or uncertain. So I think the next year and, and years to come, frankly, are going to be really interesting for my work. Not only <laughs> will I have a job, <laughs> but also how we are advising leaders and talking to leaders about what their views are on how these things are integrated into their own operations, how this impacts their own workforce structure, how they're advising clients to use them. How do our roles change as maybe curators of these tools? It's fascinating and terrifying. And I, again, I just come to it with an empathetic and communicator's heart of thinking, gosh, this is just yet another wave of instability and uncertainty for people, even though, of course, there's promise and potential and, and intrigue and interest in it as well. So it's fascinating. Stay tuned. And I think, you know, we certainly have content coming out from quite a few leaders in the next few weeks that are initially sort of wading into these conversations, but it's moving quick, you know, even writing content about it. I'm like, is this even going to be valid three weeks from now? So three weeks from now. Okay. Got it. Now, do you have <laughs> any robots in your life? And is there anything that you're like actively actually using that you would say like, this is worth jumping on? This is a trend that you have with heart eye emoji going on <laughs> I mean I have a Roomba I I definitely <laughs> my my, I, my main little guy my main little guy in my life is my <laughs> robot vacuum I, that's in replacement of a dog once I get a dog I won't need it anymore but I think you know yes of course we're an agency we're in comms of course we're looking at chat GPT and other things one interesting reflection on it that I agree with the technologist will come for me in this podcast if I speak too brazenly about it but can it really capture if, if real comms and real intentional strategic comms is about being laser focused and truly empathetic and aware of what your customer or the people in your life need to hear to make them feel moved to do something or feel something or be engaged? Can 
things like chat GPT truly capture that yet. And my thesis is no, not quite because I obviously have ego in this and I'm protective of the work we do. But of course, I mean, one can only expect that that's coming down the pipeline. And so I'm playing around with these tools because I think it's incumbent on me as a communicator to understand what they mean and what they can do and what their capabilities are. But I'm certainly not basically saying we're an agency that's generated by chat GPT or, or whatever, you know, I am just keeping aware of like what is going on. And, and again, I think it's a constantly evolving conversation. I will share with you, there have been agencies like new brand new agencies that have cropped up in the last month that are purely using chat GPT to do content for people. So there's some really crazy stuff happening. There's been people who have been plagiarized by the robot and then they, yeah, so tons of interesting conversations and, and really fascinating for my work, not only as a communicator, but as a former journalist. Oh gosh. I just got goosebumps because as you were talking, I'm like, it's happening. It's here. It's like not even out there. And the difference, and I'm going to say this, it might be the red thread of my entire year is no one and no robot can replace you, Caroline Carter, caring. And it's just like, I get it that they can maybe <laughs> replicate your words and they may be able to replicate certain pieces that you write because we live in a world where humans can too. It's called plagiarism. They just copy you. And the act of being a human being who cares for another human being, I think is, you know, the second most special currency and relationships mean you have access to one another and communication are the words that contribute to our relationships and caring. I mean, you speak of empathy and you speak of empathetic communication. And I'm like, I get that like AI wants to tell you you're going to be okay. And I still care about what makes your heart beat. So thank you. And Steph, I want to add to that because that is a beautiful sentiment. And, you know, let's take Lenza. I, I did it. I gave my likeness to the robots. I, I made a boo-boo and I, I gave it to them. But, you know, I saw the images come out and like everyone, I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, wow, I look so beautiful. Like, wow, these are so cool. Like here I am as an anime, like, or a forest fairy. And then I kind of was like, you know what, this feels good at a sort of self-actualizing artifice level, but actually almost a deflection from doing the work on me, not in terms of appearance, but just sort of, yeah, it's almost like this self-actualizing fake thing, like filters, all those things. And I think one thing I'm really focused on, and, and maybe this will bleed into, you know, our final discussion here is like, I want to do the work on me. I want to lean into me and my perfections and work on myself and move inward. And a lot of this AI stuff and this kind of artifice technological stuff feels very outward. And it actually feels very disconnected from that work. And, you know, you talked about self-identification, like that work starts with like turning in, you know, not looking to other things to project a certain vision or perfect, you know, like created content piece or perfectly created image of yourself. And so you know, I feel like we need more of that. I don't know if that's the sort of zeitgeist and where society is moving. I think, unfortunately, it might be moving in the other direction. But personally, I looked at those images and I was like, you know what? Like, that's not me. And the work I need to be doing this year is like actually looking in and on me. It's not sort of creating perfect personas of myself. Yeah. I mean, again, another conversation we could have is the lonely epidemic and what is happening with people who don't feel like they have other people. And to your point, I think it starts with people who don't feel like they can love themselves. And what does it look like and mean to be okay with yourself and then be okay with who you're with? 
and the reality that many people don't have those other people, I don't know that robots are going to help the lonely epidemic. And may that be an honest conversation. And, you know, I think to your point, when you talk about the last few years, there are pieces we've kind of overlooked. And I would be as bold as to say, like, bulldozed through. We're like, you've just spent two years at home, boom, on to the next year. And this is going to be called quietly quitting, or then this is going to be called the great resignation. And you're like, back up the bulldozer for a minute. What just happened? Gosh, I'm so with you. Forget the projection for a moment and forget this outward, what do I have to broadcast and think, who am I? Who am I in all of this? And who's with me in this journey right now? Maybe that's what matters. Not about the tech layoff numbers after all. Oh, bless. Okay. I have two final questions for you. I know we're over time. I just can't stop. I knew you would take me in so many different directions and I want to land on a positive and an inspiring note. I look to you as the thought leader and I look to you as the one with both a finger on a pulse and really interesting perspective. And I'm wondering where you go for inspiration and it can be a leader and it can be the new vacuum. It's just what in your world do you look to and say, this person, this organization is doing something excellent? And, and I really look to that for, frankly, positivity. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like kind of a, a BS answer, but you know, my job is talking to leaders of truly extraordinary organizations. You know, we have folks that are doing incredible work in renewables and regenerative agriculture and really fascinating work that I think as the climate emergency becomes, you know, more of the common focus of everyone that are going to sort of skyrocket and really come into focus in a way they haven't yet and, and really need to. I get a lot of inspiration, like from my work, like I get a lot of inspiration because month over month, I get, you know, hour long interviews with different leaders of different organizations and different areas of specialization. And we're talking not only about their industry, but we're talking about what they're doing strategically in their company and their learnings. And there's quite vulnerable conversations taking place there that certainly don't always appear in the articles that we help them generate. I, I get a lot of inspiration from those conversations and that reflection. And then of course, just from being part of the kind of dominant discourse on leadership, I, I'm very active on LinkedIn. We work closely with the folks at LinkedIn and, and you know, I follow very much their trending topics and the conversations, you know, that follow those. So as much as I hate social media in many ways, I, I glean a lot from the sort of particular areas of it that I tap into, which is largely around, you know, workplace trends and leadership. I am so lucky to have people like you in my life, Steph. I follow, you know, quite dedicatedly, like a core group of women leaders that have just been in my life since really the inception of my business. You know, you would be among them. Jacqueline Jennings, who's doing incredible work with uh, Indigenous entrepreneurs and capital raising. Paulina Cameron, who's over at Forum. Jen Maloney, who I've worked with in various capacities. My sister, who's an internal comms expert. I have like a sort of constellation. There's so many more. I've left out so many women there. But, you know, there's just these group of women that I follow along with. And I love the different diverse perspectives they're bringing and I glean so much from that. So my core group of like women entrepreneurs, even here in quite regionalized area of the Pacific Northwest, I continue to sort of take so much from and have my cup filled from. And I'm just really grateful for that. And I think that speaks to your point around the loneliness piece is that like, even though of course I work from home right now and I miss that socialization aspect, I do feel like at least by following a few people quite, you know, maybe creepily, <laughs> I feel less alone because we're going through a lot of the same yeah. things. 
Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm honored to be on the list. And what I would share is it's so inspiring to me that you could name off a group with such authenticity and candor that are women. And there is power in us coming together and saying, here are people from different spheres, different spaces and places. And ultimately, it's a beautiful thing to know that we really can call each other up to say, mm-hmm. I need your advice. I need your thoughts. I need a recommendation on some specialist one way or another. And yeah, their relationships I'll never, ever take for granted. And I know you wouldn't either. Okay, we must wrap this. And our last question, you have two choices. I want to know what you're really excited about for 2023 or a goal if you're willing to share. And I recognize early in the year, some people are jacked on goals. Some people want to lean into them a little bit longer. Tell me what's on the horizon that you're most excited about for 2023, Care. I already shared, I think that my goal, right, was around that sort of holistic success concept, but I will say the thing I'm most excited about for, and this is (laughs) a little bit frivolous, but I'm turning 40 this year and I have a series of different 40 year old birthdays that I'm going to, and I'm just so excited to see people to, you know, mitigate that isolation feeling and also to celebrate this next decade. I have an amazing mother who was a very successful reproductive psychiatrist her whole life, and she And I've had so many discussions around women and aging, and she has just gotten me so amped up to turn 40. Like I am ready for this. And she's like, it is the decade for women. (laughs) And I feel it. Like I feel stronger, you know, sexier, more engaged. Yeah. I just feel really excited for this next era. And so selfishly, it's turning 40. And I also want to normalize that conversation because I feel like there's so much gross conversation around age and aging and, you know, especially as women. And it's like, no, bring it on. I'm so ready. I'm so proud to be turning 40 and I'm ready to party. In fact, in three weeks under the Hollywood sign at my first 40th birthday party. Yes, <laughs> yes, you are. I am with you. It's the year of 40 and I am so excited. So Bring it on. And that's no offense to the Gen Zs and the younger people. I learned so much intergenerationally from my team. So every age is beautiful and have merits, but this is just the one that I'm at. (laughs) Yeah. The hill, the hill is real and we are (laughs) flying over it. Care, thank you for every minute of your time. Thank you for every syllable of your thoughts. And I just appreciate you enormously. Here's to 40. Here's to 40 and, you know, staving off the robots. Oh, hey, before you go, you know, listening to podcasts on this thing called the internet, it's a wild ride. And what would be so helpful on our wild journey is if you would be so kind to jump on and give us a review. Four, maybe even five stars. It really helps. Thanks for joining us.